This is Color Speak, unveiling truth for light. Hi, I'm your host, Janet Huxley, author J.M. Huxley. Welcome to this podcast to unveil truth and uplift you. Here you will find truth talk for relevance restoration, social influence, and dynamic purpose in all places and all seasons. Here we will unveil truth for color. Light is where you'll find truth. And truth is where you'll find color, and color is where you'll find God. You know, he hasn't gone missing from his creation. He's still invested, giving us assurances of his devotion to us, still communicating with us, sending us signs, and still pursuing us, whether we realize it or not. This is a place for talking about it, for bringing examples into the light to encourage one another, for exposing our miracles for celebration and sharing our supernatural stories. Here, we are also sharing the everyday too, the ways in which our God is at work for us. The truth of who we are in God is an exciting place to be. It's a place where we can be confident, joyful, and expectant. It's also a place where we may affirm one another's relevance because we all have dynamic, sacred purpose here. We are designed to help one another achieve it, to tell our stories. Being assured there is so much more beyond what we can see is what propels us forward to share what we know, the good in the bad. There can be no more dynamic purpose than to share the good news, truth in color. My next guest knows this firsthand, the learning and growing from the bad to find good. Author of the book, Waiting for Luigi, a story of a young girl's escape from the foster care system and the rough experiences, as she calls them, that pushed her to excel and to prove those who thought less of her wrong. As a young girl who spent most of her childhood waiting for her father, Luigi, to return home to claim her, she counted on the old proverb, all things come to those who wait. Now she recognizes happiness is a choice one must make. It's not good luck or fortune. It's not dependent upon another human being. It's a byproduct of many things. Being in a relationship with God first and foremost. Now, Dr. Sandra Duclos is working not only to create awareness for the changes needed in the foster care system, but to make the world a better place for all who come in contact with her. I believe she's doing that. I haven't personally met Sandra. We met online through our publisher, but let me tell you, I feel as though I know this woman, and what I know to be true is good. She is always radiant, constantly positive, and continuously lifting up the people around her. The comments she posts online and the interactions with others always makes me smile. She's just a joy to be around. I'd like to introduce you now to Dr. Sandra Duclos, author of the wonderful book, Waiting for Luigi, a gripping story of a young girl left far too long in the foster care system, but who found triumph at the end of it. Sandra, welcome. Please tell Thank our you. listeners. Oh, you're well, you're so welcome here. And I'm so excited to have you. Please tell our listeners about yourself. Thank you, Janet. It's great to be here. I'm a clinical psychologist, recently retired from my private practice of over 25 years. After retiring, I felt called to write my story, 
hoping that it would help other people. When that was finished, I needed something else to engage my brain, so I became a book editor last August, which I am loving. I am a wife, mother of an adult son, and grandmother to two amazing grandsons whom I just can't get enough of. (laughs) So um, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. I'm retired, but not retired. (laughs) No, I mean, you know, you're the perfect example of continuing to just be an impact until the very last day you leave this planet. And I love that. And that's so far in the future. But I love that after retirement is really when you kicked it into high gear. Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. Well, then you can do more. I I loved my practice as well. And um, I oftentimes miss doing that. But um I'm at a point in my life where it was time for change anyway. So um, I did that for a long time. So, and I'm, and I'm loving what I'm doing now. That is awesome. I can't imagine myself doing nothing. Right. (laughs) Yes. Because you were wired to be different. You were wired to make impact and to have that dynamic purpose as we talk about. And, you know, I want to I want to start with the book. And, you know, okay. I've read your book. I loved it. It is your story. It's an autobiography. And one of the things I wanted to talk about was the way you opened it in chapter one with the decision. And your very first sentence right off the block just was so impactful because it just it speaks to what we hope to accomplish here on this podcast, and that is speaking into empowerment to eradicate self-doubt that creeps in in all seasons. And mm-hmm. here you go with your very first statement, and that is, the self-doubt creeps back in as if it had never left. The self-doubt creeps mm-hmm. back in as if it had never left. Wow. And I'm just going to toss it to you from there. How, what a wonderful way to start your book, I'm telling you, because does that resonate with all of us or what? We all have that self-doubt. So it sets up sort of this expectation that you're going to explain how you overcame that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You wrote the book. Mm -hmm. Why did you write the book? What prompted you to write this book? Um, There were a few things. Um, Being retired... I, as I believe most people do, started to reassess my life, evaluate my life, and I kept coming back to my childhood, which I had avoided for quite a long while because it was painful. And um, while I was reevaluating my life, I would keep going back to that and um, I, I felt it was time for me to follow my own advice that I had given countless other people <laughs> and to face what I had been avoiding and face the pain. But I was also afraid to do that. Um, it, fear is not something any of us, I think, look forward to facing. And I didn't know the effect that it would have on me. I was very happy in my life. Um, and um, I had a, and do have a wonderful life, and I didn't want anything disrupting that. And I was fearful if I faced all that pain of my childhood, um, would, it, would it haunt me and would it ruin my current happiness? But I decided I had to. 
Um, and that's where that self-doubt came in. I didn't trust myself to be able to handle it. Mm. And so, you know, with prayer um, and, and, and through the grace of God, I was able to do it. And um, I'll tell you, writing the book was very cathartic for me. Sure. It really helped me face um, all of that tragedy, because I think that's an accurate word for it. And um, things came back to me that I had buried long ago and had forgotten about. So I think it was a, a, a very um, positive thing. Yeah, I would uh, absolutely agree. And obviously, it was positive for so many other people that needed something from your story. You spoke to so many. And so let's just talk about that. Can you go ahead and sort of give us a synopsis or uh, just an abbreviated version of what your story is? And of course, I I don't want you to give too much away because Mm -hmm. I would strongly encourage our listeners to read. You have this amazing cover with a little girl and a dog sitting on the beach looking out to the waves. And of course, your title is Waiting for Luigi. Very compelling. You grew up near a seashore. And I want to encourage folks to pick up the book. So Mm -hmm. let us in on a little of the scoop, though. What is it that you can let us know about today? Okay. Well, my book is presented as a novel. It's based on my true story, and it chronicles my life as a foster child from the age of five when my mother died to the age of 16 when the state released me to fend for myself. Thankfully, they don't do that as young anymore, but then they did. As a foster child, I was abused, neglected, sometimes went hungry in one home in particular, was fed very little. Also, at the age of eight, I suffered a rape. But regardless of all that, I don't think I'm giving away too much if I say, and and, and I think you already mentioned it, that through it all, my faith sustained me. And I, through my faith, I believe, I was able to beat the odds to end up creating a successful adulthood, both professionally and personally. And I overcame my childhood trauma and, again, through God's grace, was able to forgive and heal completely. And all of that is gone now. Not buried, dealt with, faced, but gone And it it no longer has the power to affect me in a negative way. As a matter of fact, I think I've learned a lot and grown from that hardship. Well, as a clinical psychologist, you are in a terrific position to know exactly what people need to hear. As you're working through your own healing, you are providing others in similar positions with the hope that they need for the future. And you articulate it in a way that is the most impactful and advantageous. Um, What do you think is the biggest and most compelling thing that propelled you into such a place of healing? I started to ask you, what was your secret? But honestly, what was it that made things so different for you that you saw such success at the end of all of this? I think the biggest thing, uh, uh, most of all, my faith. I really don't believe I would have been able to do it without my faith. Not just reprocessing my childhood, but getting through the childhood. I doubt that I would have been able to do that successfully. 
I always think that I should have been a statistic. If you look at the odds, I should be a drug addict now or a criminal or, or something of that nature based on my past. And and I credit all of that to God and, and His grace and His extreme care of me. Even as a young child, I always felt that he was there, and I could feel his presence watching over me and guiding me. And and I think that, I, I wouldn't call that a secret, but I think that's the key to my ability to become successful and to create a happy life. I don't think that would have been possible without him, without my faith. Well, so let me ask you, was faith something that you were raised in or was it something that happened very innately for you? As for so many, did you feel the presence of the Lord organically or was it something you were sort of led to be aware of? Um, it was actually, um, two. my faith was in two parts. As a child, I believed in Heavenly Father. I learned that through, uh, when, when I was very young at home, before my mother died, I remember going to church a couple of times, but faith in God had really no meaning for me. It wasn't anything that was discussed at home. Uh, my parents were not religious in, in any way. It was just, you know, something that you were supposed to do, go to church, and it had no meaning for me. But the first foster home I went to after being at the children's center, the the state-run orphanage, I was seven at the time, and the foster father, and the mother too, but the father had more of an impact on me, was a, a man of very deep faith, and he was Roman Catholic, and he brought me to his local church. And he was the first one to tell me about God as as a personal God. And then they sent me to parochial school where I had religious classes every day that taught, uh, you know, about God and the Catholic faith. But it was mostly, um, God to me then was mostly a God. I knew about Jesus and learned about Jesus and believed that he died for us. But it was more of a relationship with the Heavenly Father, because that was what I needed, the belief that someone was there looking out for me, and he showed me that over and over again. Um, I talk in my book about um, a number of uh, people that I call angels who were sprinkled throughout my life and appeared at times when I desperately needed them. Um, and and I believe God is the one who placed those people in my life and um, did that to to protect me or to help me through. And I talk more about that in my book. So anyway, that relationship was more of a relationship with my Heavenly Father rather than a personal relationship with Jesus. And indeed, at that time, I thought that Jesus opened the gates of heaven for us, but we had to earn heaven through good deeds because that's what my Catholic religion at the time, that's what the, the sisters in school taught us. Ah. And, and um, so when I became an adult, I had questioned um, a lot about 
those teachings and there were a lot of things that troubled me and bothered me. So I started going to different churches and I found a, a Christian church that helped me see that it was our salvation was a gift that was freely given and all we had to do was accept it. We could never be good enough to earn our way to heaven. And so that's when my, my faith became very different, and I developed a personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah, I can, you know, I can so relate to what you're saying, because I had sort of a similar experience. Church was something you did on the weekends, and you talked to God mm-hmm. then, but that you didn't really live that. Right, you, com- you yeah. compartmentalize for absolutely, that's absolutely true. And so therefore, there were things that you just didn't talk about in the home, religion and politics were, were those things. And mm-hmm. so but I, I as a young kid, I felt that way too. I, I felt like I didn't know Jesus as God's son yet, but I knew that there was this father that loved me. And, Mm. you know, I talked about that in my book too. I, I met him in a craft store in 1974. I mean, I kind of chuckle when I say that, ha, huh? I met Jesus in a craft store. Um, but I, but yeah. at that point, I really thought it was God and it was, he was ministering to me for sure. I think it was mm-hmm. something that I knew innately and um, my story pales in comparison to yours, but the way that it went down basically uh, is that we were in this craft store in California and my mom had four young children and it was back in the day when we could register to win contests, even if we weren't 18. And she said, Mm -hmm. oh, go on along and put your names in that contest over there. And she was shopping with the other two. My sister and I went over and started filling out slips. I filled out a slip and put it in the box. And she stayed there to fill out slip after slip. And I remember God coming to me and saying, you know, I'm in control here. If you are to win, all you need is one slip. And I thought, yes, that's true. And he said, and I had this this full on conversation with him. And so back and forth it went. And he said, you know, you need to trust me. And this is the way life is kind of thing. And you only need to to fill out one slip if if you're with me and you'll win this. And I wanted to turn around to my younger sister. I was about 10 at the time and say, you know, I think we only need to, to fill out one slip. Let's go. Let's go look around, you know, and yet I didn't want to mm-hmm. make her mad. So I didn't say anything. But I knew I was going to win because God had already told me, you know, it was a foregone conclusion. And so when my name was announced over the loudspeaker during the holidays, and it was a big deal at the time, I remember thinking, God is real. I just had a conversation with him. And yet, <laughs> you know, it was so organic. It was so innate. It was so, you know, my perspective and we, it's interesting. I talked about this with someone else recently. I had a good father. I had a great model mm-hmm. so that I was sort of in a fertile place. My heart was in a fertile place for that kind of thing. And I know that's not mm-hmm. what it is for everyone. But I do think it's so interesting that you you had a similar experience where you knew that there was a God and he was looking out for you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I would talk to him all the time. I talked to him as if he were my father because my father was pretty much absent. Mm. And and I would go to church and and um, be alone in the sanctuary and, and just have these conversations with him and talk to him about everything that was going on in my life. And so I had a real relationship with him, a personal relationship. And I always knew he was real because I communicated with him daily 
and he's answered a multitude of my prayers, and he's intervened on my behalf numerous times, probably too many to count. Well, and I want to get to that because obviously this is the focus of the podcast and I'm excited because I don't even know what you're going to share. When we talked earlier, I had, as you know, said, I really prefer not to have a script and I really like to work as sort of a free spirit here, letting the Holy Spirit do Mm -hmm. his thing. And I don't know what you're going to share, but I know it's going to be good. And before we get to that, though, just in regard to your book, Waiting for Luigi, as you know, I read the book. I couldn't put it down. I... I uh, obviously cried in so many places, and I know that there was one that just really hit me. You know, it was heartbreaking to read your story and hear that you Mm -hmm. and your sibling were in another room, relegated to bread and water at a separate table, while the rest of the family ate roast chicken and vegetables in the living room, or in the kitchen, rather, or wherever it was. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, how, I it just, you know, you have to stop down a minute and just think, how are there human beings on this planet that operate that way? You know, it's just, in my mind, it's just so unthinkable and so hard to wrap a mind around. And that's the least of it. And that you, as you said, could have become a statistic in so many ways. And yet, as you're saying that, here's what I see. I see light. I see brilliant light coming from you. And it is your story. It is your God that has been a part of your existence from the beginning and your awareness of that and leaning into that, that has made you a shining example, a beacon for all that know you, that read your story and see what you've been able to overcome, which is just crazy monumental. And the way that God was able to use you, not just in writing this book, Waiting for Luigi, but in your work as a clinical psychologist, what a blessing you have been in so many lives. But as we move forward, tell us a little bit about, okay, those miracles. As we talked about earlier, I said, you know, this podcast is all about miracles. And I hate to use that word. I hate to overuse that word because that word is is so crazy, wonderful, impactful, we could call them supernatural occurrences or whatever. Yeah. But miracles are but still I miracles. Think, yeah, and, and I think they're much more common than most people realize. Yes. I think we have to look for them. We have to be aware. Yes. Um and, and boy, when you are aware, I see them all over the place. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Thus the need for this podcast. You're just yeah. So affirming what we're doing here, because that's exactly right. You have to be aware of them. We so often blind ourselves to what our God is doing in our lives. And Mm -hmm. so I'm excited for you to share. So, you know, as I told you going into this podcast, one of the things I ask people first and foremost is, what is the single biggest piece of evidence you have for the realness of God and or share your biggest miracle? Um, this miracle I am thankful for every single day. And, um, you know, I've, I've shared it with many people because I am just still amazed by it. I believe it, but I'm amazed by it. And there is no, um, real explanation for it, although many people try to explain it away. Um, my husband, my husband has congestive heart failure uh, subsequent to a massive heart attack uh, about 14 years ago. I'm sorry um, to hear that. Yeah, his heart um, 
was pumping his the pumping function uh, was only at about fifteen percent in two thousand and nineteen, and he was being hospitalized for about a week, about every three months at that time during that year to stabilize him and remove massive amounts of fluid buildup around his heart and lungs, which is what happens when you have congestive heart failure, when the heart is not pumping as it should. So in November of 2019, he was really in a bad way. He was in intensive care. His kidneys and liver were shutting down from the strain of trying to do the heart's job. And he was there in intensive care for a week, and they took very aggressive measures, and they were able to stabilize him and felt, well, you know, there's nothing more we can do. So it was the day before Thanksgiving, and upon his discharge, once he was stabilized, the chief cardiologist told my son and me that my husband had no more than one month to live. And, of course, I was beside myself with grief. Mm. So I gathered all my prayer warriors, and we prayed like crazy. I had entire congregations, um, even in different states, praying for him. And here we are, almost 14 months later, and he is healthier than he's been in years. He looks and feels great and has not had any fluid fluid buildup or any hospitalization since that last admission in November of 2019. Wow. The doctors cannot believe it. They just keep shaking their heads when they look at him and when they see him, and they have no medical explanation for his recovery. Wow. And even though he responded well to the treatment when he was in intensive care, because he was responding better than the doctor expected, I asked the, the cardiologist again, I said, because he's responding so well, does this change his prognosis? And he said, no, it does not. He'll be lucky if he lasts them a month. And yet he's... And he's here 14 right. months old later and looks marvelous. Wow. And he feels great, and has, right? has no buildup. He feels yeah. great. And he's, he's not retaining fluid at all, which is the major thing that happens when you have congestive heart failure. Wow. And there is no medical explanation. Of course. So, and what are people saying? They're just saying coincidence or? Well, no, no, not coincidence, but they'll say, well, you know, whatever they did in the uh, hospital must have made him sure. better. You see, they're trying to find, um, not my believing friends, but but non-believers try to find other explanations for it. Well, you know, the doctor must have been wrong. He must not have been as bad as he thought he was. Um, This is a very well-respected cardiologist um, who, who I have utmost faith in, and um, he knew what he was talking about. Sure. He, he was the head of the whole team in the hospital, so he knew what he was talking about. Right. So don't you think that those people that are naysayers that just chalk it up to medical science and, of course, no involvement by God by any mm-hmm. means, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say those people are just fearful of what they don't know? 
I mean, it's a lot to commit to that because to commit to acknowledgement that there could be a God working on behalf of mankind means that we then have to reevaluate our own position in relation to him. Mm-hmm. And it requires response on our part. And it's right. just easier to to make sure that we adhere to just whatever can be scientifically proven. But that opens a whole new subject because, boy, <laughs> there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of guesswork in science, too. Yeah. But, too, I think that it's such a joyful thing to be able to believe in. Yes. And, and you know, that's coming from someone who, who does have faith, and, and I'm sure it's not as easy for someone who does not have faith, but um, I would want to. I would want to be able to believe that, that there's a, pyre, a power higher than we are, and, and that there is hope for us, and that this isn't all that exists. I mean, to me, that's a joyful thing. It sure is. But, you know, I think as humans and with the deception of an enemy that we acknowledge to be true, at least here on this Mm -hmm. podcast, it means that we need to keep our feet on the ground so often and we need to retain some degree of sensibility so that lest we be thought of as delusional or overly romantic, it is easier just to go with what we know is certain and true. But the interesting thing, like you said, is that the more we open our minds to such and the more gratitude that we show, the more of those things increase. Mm-hmm. And and the more we open up our world to possibilities, which then cause us to take a step back and to come to terms with the reality that is that there is so much more that goes on than what we can see. And than what we can prove. And, you know, as you're telling Mm -hmm. that story, I'm thinking of literally at least a half a dozen in my own life that are very similar to what you're telling me. And some of those belong to family members that would need to share those stories, not me. They can't come from me. But I will tell you one story that was me. And, you know, I think some of my best friends don't even know this, and maybe even some of my kids don't. But gosh, I guess it would have been in about 2012 or so, I went in for a routine mammogram, and something came up and I was told Mm -hmm. there's something there, we need to have you back right away. And they set up a biopsy. Mm -hmm. And there I was sort of in panic mode for a couple of days. And my husband and I prayed together and he says, you know, whatever it is, we'll get through this kind of thing. And I'm thinking, oh, dear, that's the kind of language I don't want to hear. You know, but I went to the Lord and I said, listen, you know, I'm just going to lay it out there. I'm not going to pray whatever your will be done. I'm going to pray actively and not passively. And I said, here's what I'd like, Lord. I want it to be your will. But what I'd really like to hear is this was a mistake, false alarm. So Mm -hmm. wouldn't you know, Mm -hmm. we go in the next day, my husband is with me, we go in, they get the mammogram and the radiologist says to me, well, I don't see anything here. This is a false alarm. I'm not even kidding. Use the exact same wording that I used (laughs) in my petition to the Lord. And since then, never had any issues, never had any problems. Thank the Mm -hmm. Lord. Right? I mean, I am going to give credit where credit is due. That's, yes. Wow. That's funny because I had the exact same experience. Um, There there was um, a mass in my breast and it was growing. The doctors first said, you know, let's watch it and see what happens. Well, three months later, it had grown. So I had to have a biopsy. And of course, I, you know, prayed about that as well. And um, 
the the uh, biopsy was benign. I've never had another problem, and the the mass mysteriously disappeared. They don't know what it was. <laughs> it just See? mysteriously just, disappeared. <laughs> isn't that amazing? Yes, and no coincidence. Yes, yeah. Just no. I'm sorry. I don't believe in those kinds of coincidences. It just is remarkable that the very thing that we prayed for happened. But especially when you ask specifically, please let it be a false alarm. And then you hear, oh, it's a false alarm. Yeah. Bye. See you next year kind of thing. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, but even more so, than a false alarm, which proves to me that it's not coincidence, is that there actually was a visible mass in in the in the um, ultrasound. You could see yes. the mass, and then it's just it's not there. Yeah. So same same with me. Yeah. <laughs> That's wow. Not a coincidence. I love that we're talking about it. We hadn't planned to. As you were talking, I was praying about it. Should I share that story? Well, obviously, I needed to share that story because you just confirmed it. So that's awesome. Thanks for sharing yours. (laughs) Do you have anything else you want to add? Um, There's just so much. Um, It's like my whole life has been a miracle. And um, I, I, I just feel so grateful. Uh, it's like it's almost like I feel like this spoiled brat of God. <laughs> oh, I I kind of get what you're saying. It's like yes, why that he's you, been so you know, good to us. Treat me so specially. Um, mm. And um, it, it, the reality, I think, is everyone would be treated this specially if they if they only embraced it. Yeah, that's so true. My goodness. And it's so sad that so many don't. Yeah. And yeah. and it just is easier for them to feel a degree of control over their lives in protecting themselves from the possibility that things really aren't in their control. Mm-hmm. But I I don't I can't I can't identify with that philosophy because listen, you know, death comes to all of us, sickness comes to all of us, age comes yeah. to all of us. There's yeah. no controlling it. It's outside of our control. So why not let it go and allow mm-hmm. someone who does have control over it mm-hmm. uh, to help us, mm-hmm. to protect but us this, along the way? this fear in the unknown yeah. um, for most people. But, you know, I, I think it's a lot easier than, than many non-believers think that it is. Um, you know, I think the biggest message that I would have for listeners is if you seek him out and ask Jesus to enter your heart, he will. Mm-hmm. And you and your life will be transformed as, as mine was, as yours was. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's nothing in your past or your present um, that you can't overcome, no matter how traumatic, how awful, how guilty you feel, whatever it is. There's nothing that cannot be healed in Jesus, and and you can live in joy and peace. You can overcome it, um, and and that's the message of my book. I hope it is anyway. I hope that's clear. It and, is absolutely. Um, there are so many people willing to help you. All you have to do is reach out, even if you have no faith. There are people willing to help you. Absolutely. I think we are living in an interesting time. This technology of ours has been detrimental, 
absolutely on the one hand, but there's so much available at our fingertips now, never before in the history of, of the world have we had the ability to have access to so much material. And even though I think social media can be very isolating, and I know all of the all of the negativity associated with that. I think it can be and it's no replacement by any means. And I don't mean to, to speak as an authority here, especially with a clinical psychologist. But I do think that there is so much benefit there as well. And again, not to replace human contact. Yes. But, you know, right. at least you can if you're feeling even the least bit reticent, you can sort of tiptoe out there a little bit and do some digging without any yes. harm to your ego or self. Right, right. It's a wonderful yes, resource, yes. I yeah, think, I think if so. it's used properly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and there, there are tons of uh, people out there willing to help, whether it's in an impersonal way um, through, you know, um, uh, looking at blogs or whatever can be very helpful. Um, and, and maybe that can move you. That can be a beginning point where you don't get personally involved, but seeing the help that's there and the understanding that's there can move you toward a more personal encounter with someone. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking also of your book, as you said that, because to read a, a story like yours, and I knew going into it as I read it, and I found my heart sort of feeling choked a bit, um, certainly tears coming to my eyes as I was reading your story. And I knew there was such beauty at the end that there was such a redemption. And so it allowed me to push forward and hear what you had to say and to glean the understanding from your message that you had intended for us who read it in that there's so much hope that no matter what your situation or set of circumstances is, you can hope because we have a yeah. God who desires to use whatever we've been through for good. I'm sure he's crying and anguishing along with us as we plot along and we endure what we do but that we can be assured that he he knows and he's right there with us. He promises to be with us in times of trouble and to rescue us. And absolutely. And, and he keeps his promises. He does. Yes. And he doesn't ask us to believe him without any sort of proof. That's the thing. I mean, he right. he loves to show us he's in the game, that he hasn't abandoned us. And that is mm -hmm. extremely exciting. And so books like yours, which I feel like are on the rise as God moves and shifts across this planet, so in need of a good word, um, good good books like yours and uh, so many of our friends that we've met through publishing. I am just reflective mm -hmm. now on so many of those stories as I sit here. I, I also want to talk about just the fact that you were bold and courageous in moving forward. And um, I know that one of your verses that you even open the book with is Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong yes. and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Mm -hmm. And you followed up by listing a quote that I love, John Milton's Paradise Lost. The mind is its own mm -hmm. place and in itself can make a hell of heaven and a heaven of hell. Do you Absolutely. want to speak into that yeah. just a little bit? Um, yeah. 
There's so much there. Um, it's it's all about, and and this is not disregarding God. He he plays a major role, believe me. But I use this so much in my clinical practice. I used to have that uh, quote hanging on my office wall, and and this is pretty much the gist of what I did in my practice and how I helped people was I helped them see that it was their thoughts that created their world, that created their emotions. And when you think differently, you feel differently. And oftentimes when we are dealing with dysfunction, um, it's based on emotions that come from faulty thinking. Yes. Irrational Mm -hmm. thinking. Um, Anxiety is a perfect example. People who generally suffer from, I mean, we all are anxious and anxiety can sometimes be a good thing at a moderate rate. It increases performance, but when it becomes overwhelming and robs you of joy in your life, which is the case for many, many people, it's very sad, but when when this happens, when a person's life is, is riddled with anxiety, there are generally two things operating. One is they overestimate um, the consequences if something bad were to happen, um, that it would be like the end of the world. And the, the other thing is they overestimate the probability of that something bad happening. And in my practice, I would help people look at these things in a very rational way. Um, well, let's look at that. What is the probability? And, and, and we'd look at facts, not like, well, what if, what if? That's not a fact. That's a fear. And so we look at facts to, to help us see facts that are, uh, um, you're not able to refute them. And so, um, you can't deny something that's true. And so that would help change the way that they thought. Well, no. Uh, what if? Well, let me look at the probability of what if. And when they look at that, they see that, well, you know what? The probability is very, very low because about 97 or 98% of the things people worry about never happen. Right. And so that's just an example of changing how when you change the way you think, it changes the way you feel, and it it changes everything about your world. And so that, in essence, is what the quote is saying. In our own minds, we could take something wonderful and and make it awful, heaven into hell, or something awful and see the good in it and 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 um it, that's making a, a hell of hev- uh, no a heaven of hell i said it yeah. just the reverse um so it, it's all in your thoughts and and when i say all i don't mean excluding your faith excluding god um but but in addition to we can help mm-hmm. ourselves yeah i mean i think we can all agree our greatest battles occur between our ears yeah, for real. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And it is important to recognize that. And I love that that's how you counsel people to understand that 98% of the things that we worry about never happen. Mm-hmm. Let's just stop down there for a minute. That's, yeah. yeah. That's and I was just doing that as an example, using mm-hmm. anxiety, but it's true for so many things. 
so right. many things, wh- whether it's depression, whether it's uh, interpersonal problems. It doesn't matter what it is. If you get to the root of it, that's what the problem is. It's in the way that you're thinking. It's what we call in, in, in the business faulty self-talk. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, you're a shining example of overcoming all of that and beating the odds. And obviously, your faith played a part the way that you thought and chose to look at the world, your perspective Mm -hmm. is, is truly what was able to propel you forward into success. And, and you talked about happiness. I mean, you wrapped up in your appendix, talking about the joy that you have found as a result. So it's not just faith and perspective and, and overcoming those odds and working to achieve what you knew you could accomplish from the very beginning, which others may have may have doubted in you, but finding the joy in all of that. And isn't that where we all want to be? I mean, Absolutely. the end goal is that joy that we we all aspire to have. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, how is it that you would recommend to our listeners they find that joy? I mean, obviously, there were so many nuggets in there that you just provided us. But if you could sort of summarize for us, how do we find joy, Dr. Sandra Duclos? <laughs> I think one very important way to find joy is through gratitude. Instead of focusing, and again, this goes to how we think, instead of focusing on all of the difficulties that we experience, I mean, if you look at our world right now, the current state of our world and and all the negativity that's been happening, the division uh, politically, the injustices, the riots. I mean, so many things. It's very easy to get depressed, very easy to get down, to get discouraged. Um, But also in the midst of all of this, there are many wonderful things going on. There are so many wonderful acts of kindness and, and people showing love to each other and people helping, helping those less fortunate and people working towards um, justice. Uh, there's so much good going on, but we lose perspective when we focus in on only the negative. Yeah. And so I think being aware and intentionally trying to find and focus on the things that are good. You know, maybe I lost my job, but boy, I have some amazing children. I still have a roof over my head. I still have food to eat. No, you know, the bills are mounting up, and I don't mean to make light of this. There are people who are really suffering, and when you're in the midst of it, it's very hard to see outside of that. But even in the midst of all of that trouble, there are positive, good things happening to be grateful for. And I think when you do that, it gives you a much better perspective and you're able to find joy. When you're stuck in the muck and that's all you can see, you're not going to find joy. You have to, you have to try to dig your way out of that muck. And there are several ways to do that. And, and, and finding gratitude things to be grateful for is one way. You know, changing the way you think is another way. Um, if, if, if you're really stuck, 
seek counseling. Um, there's, there's a lot of help to be had out there. Um, and, and I know many people think, oh, you have to be like crazy to go to counseling. And that's absolutely not true. I had a private practice for 25 years and I can count on one hand the number of people who were not in touch with reality. They were normal, everyday people who had jobs and families, and some of them very high-powered, came from all walks of life, but they knew enough that they needed help, mm-hmm. and and so they were willing to to reach for that help and benefited from it, and and so, you know, that's another big thing. If you want joy in your life, be willing to ask for help when you need it. And there yeah. are people who are more than willing to, to, to lend a hand. Sure. Yeah. And so I love that you echo what our mutual friend, Kathy Studer, talks about a lot in her recovery from a difficult childhood and abuse in that gratitude is what fosters joy. Mm-hmm. And I love that she talked about neural pathways being formed, because mm-hmm. when we are grateful, we are then more grateful. When right. we are grateful, we right. are then joyful and even more joyful. Yeah. And there are more opportunities to find the gratitude and there is more joy to be found because yes. we have yes. caused those neural pathways yes. Yes. to form. Yes, and I we love have, that. We have significant um scientific evidence through our research uh, that behavior can change your actual neural neurology, your actual neurochemicals, neurotransmitters. Hmm. Um, there is a study in particular, I don't know if I'm running too long here. I could oh, you're probably fine. talk for ages on this. Yes, um, and I could have you talk for ages. <laughs> <laughs> there, There is a study, it was a landmark study, and, and it's been since replicated, and there are many um, subsequent studies that support those findings in which um, they... Um, studied individuals with a particular psychiatric disorder. It's been years and years since I read the study, and I'm thinking it might have been OCD or something like that. I may be wrong right now, but um, something significant like that, uh, clinical um, obsessive-compulsive disorder that was interfering in their life. And they randomly assigned them to... Um, different groups. One group had intensive psychotherapy um, for a 20-week period where they met several times a week uh, for 20 weeks, and one received only a psychotropic medication that is very helpful for the disorder, Um, and another group received a placebo. So they got nothing. So there were three groups. Mm -hmm. And all of these three groups, the blood level, serum levels of serotonin were measured before they um, began the study. And then they went through their protocol, whether it was a placebo medication only or um, uh, therapy only, intensive uh, cognitive behavior therapy. And the placebo people had note at the end of the 20 weeks, they tested the uh, blood serum levels again. 
um, there was no increase or change in the serotonin levels of those with the placebo. There was a uh, significant increase in those who took the medication, and those who had ther- this intensive psychotherapy only um, without medication, their serotonin um, levels, blood serum levels of serotonin increased to the same degree of those that took medication. That's interesting and not surprising. Yeah, yeah. Not and, surprising and it's at all. been replicated. And um, there are, as I said, um, many, many, many subsequent studies that have had the same kind of findings. That's wonderful news. Yeah. That's very yes, encouraging. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah. and so, I, I mean, to me, what that says is behavior can change our brain chemicals. Yes, Not just the pathways, but the actual chemicals. Right. So, and that's and a wonderful God so, thing, yeah. isn't it? I yeah, love that. Absolutely. So, as you yeah. know, one of a million trillion ways that he shows himself to us mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that just even when you cut yourself and you notice how quickly your body heals and that's that's along those same lines. Right. Yes. yes. So we have an opportunity to heal ourselves mm-hmm. and we we can we can do that on our own or we can seek help. But either way. It's available to us should we choose it. So it gets back to what you said at the beginning or that I said at the beginning and you the way you concluded your book that you recognized at some point, having spent a lifetime of waiting for your father, it seemed that really happiness was not going to come from him. Happiness was something you chose for yourself. And that happened through many things. But at the first at the top was God Mm -hmm. and your faith. Mm-hmm. And allowing yourself to have the proper perspective. Yes. So yeah. that is very encouraging for everyone. Yeah. And and I think God wants us to choose happiness. I think He created us to have peace and joy and and live wonderful lives. Um, why would He want His children to be miserable? <laughs> exactly. It doesn't make sense. One of my favorite verses is the one where Jesus says, I have come so that you have life and have it abundantly. Yeah. And he's not just talking about eternal life. I mean, he wants us, he wants us to live a life abundantly here. And the proof is in that verse that talks about think on these things, whatever is honorable and true and praiseworthy, whatever is good and lovely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's where he wants our focus to be. Yeah. And he also tells us, you know what? You're going to have trouble in this world. That's the way it's going to be, folks. Mm-hmm. But guess mm-hmm. what? I'm with you in the trouble and I've yeah. overcome it. Yeah. And so that trouble makes us stronger. It does. That trouble benefits us. We may not see it at the time. And certainly some trouble is not good. I'm not saying anyone should be abused or anything like that. But yes. um, it benefits us. If, if, if we get through the trouble to the other side, We've gained something from that. We've gained skills. We've gained endurance. We've gained empathy for others. Um, we've gained something if we want to look at it that way. Again, yeah, it's in how you're thinking about it. And and it brings to mind, too, another thing that I neglected to say. I mean, there are a lot of things I didn't say, but um, in, in terms of something that can bring us to joy, um, gratitude was one thing, but there are many others, and I see service as another way that brings great joy. There is nothing I think so satisfying as helping other people. 
That's why I loved what I did for a living. You didn't always see the help that you created, but, uh, or help to create, but, um, it, it, it's such a wonderful feeling when you help someone else. It gives you more joy, I think, than it does the person that you helped. I think you're right. Anytime you're sad or depressed, just go out and volunteer somewhere somewhere or help someone. I would recommend that all the the time to my depressed patients. Um, You know, get involved in volunteer work. Find a way to do something charitable. Help somebody. And it would really help get them out of that funk. Mm. And yeah. I don't mean to minimize clinical depression because that's a real thing that's that's biologically based. It's medically based. So, um, it, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And I, I, was I don't thinking mean the same to thing. make light of it because it's it's um, but but you can help yourself even through that. And as I said earlier, behavior can change your chemistry. So. And I'm even thinking if you're housebound and you're just thinking, well, how do I, you know, how do I get out of this pandemic? And I'm kind of stuck at home. And you know what you can do? You can get out a pen and a paper and just write a letter because writing a letter is so precious. And I heard someone explain it this way. It's really investing a part of yourself for all time on paper. And so that whenever you Mm -hmm. hold something that is handwritten, you feel like you have a part of that person with you. So helpful. And I was reminded of that again recently and sort of motivated to start doing that again, because I look back on some of those things that I have that some of the people that I've lost had written to me, and they're among my most prized mm-hmm. possessions, because it is true when I hold them, yeah. I've brought a part of their spirit back to me in memory so that I can delight in that. Yeah. And even if yeah. you're not planning on departing the planet anytime soon, it is so nice <laughs> to write a letter to someone just so they know how you're feeling. Um, I'm laughing. And Absolutely. Kind of, it is. And that can really make someone's yeah. day. Just a little, a, a little note in a card can make someone. I think there's therapy day. in writing, isn't there? Uh-huh. I'm asking you. Isn't there? Yes. There's something oh, that happens me, in the brain. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. It's yeah. all good. Yeah. And learning too. That's that's uh, in in terms of learning principles. It helps you learn if you write it down. Yes. It it cements it more in your brain. So yeah. Many, many benefits to writing for sure. I love it. I think I hope that we don't become a society that stops handwriting. I know that there is a big. Well, it has stopped a yeah. lot. Um, you know, um, most um, like thank you notes and such are given verbally or through a text message rather than a handwritten note. And and that saddens me. I I used to write tons of letters and loved receiving letters. And you get very few nowadays. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You you just don't. You don't. It is sort of a lost art that I think we need to make an effort to bring back for sure. I, you know, when I I feel this way every time I have a guest on, but I could talk to you forever. And it is so encouraging, (laughs) especially hearing all, you know, all of your wisdom. But I do, you know, in wrapping up, I do want to, I do want to focus on your, your relevancy, because that is something that I have a heart to. I was in a group with a number of women a couple of years ago, and I found that as women age, and I'm speaking of myself here, I think there is more of a reticence to speak out. I think there is sort of an understanding that we need to 
you know, kind of sit down and be quiet and there may not be as much we feel we have to offer. And I think some of that is rooted in what the enemy does to us to convince Mm -hmm. us that we're no longer viable. So by golly, I felt like I was bringing out my gun smoking to say, you know what? No, this stops now because we each one of us are impactful until the very last moment we draw our breath, our last breath. You know, if we want to be, And so I am so encouraged by women who are sort of picking up that gauntlet and saying, yeah, I'm marching forward. You know, I'm retired, but here's what I'm doing. Yeah. mm -hmm. So tell me about that. I am probably more vocal now than I, than I ever was when I was younger. That's Um, so good to hear. I'm 73 now. Nobody ever believes that, but it's the truth. (laughs) You look amazing. And, um, and I, I, you know, I am much freer. Uh, vocally than I ever was when I was younger. And I think I have more to say because I have more experience. And I think this value in life experience. For sure. Absolutely. Because I feel like our wisdom does really increase as the years go on. And not that we have any of us in particular, any sage advice that is outstanding Mm -hmm. above others, but that we each bring something different to the table. And we all have such unique experiences. And as the years pass, those experiences increase and how wonderful it is to share them. And I I just mm-hmm. am so encouraged by people who are willing to do that. In this group setting I was talking mm-hmm. about, I was asked to speak to a group of older women in a home a couple of years ago. And as we sat around the table, I was trying to literally dredge information out of them. And some of them were more forthcoming, to be honest, but there Mm -hmm. were a couple that really stood out to me. And that's where I actually got the idea for this podcast, because there was one in particular that was so shy. And I felt like, okay, am I am I doing more harm than good if I'm sort of pestering her? or peppering her with questions. And, and then if eventually she said, you know what, I'm so glad you talked to me. I'm so glad you asked these questions. I am so shy. I want people to ask me these things. I want to feel like I have something Mm -hmm. to contribute. Right, right. That's exactly it. She felt like she was no longer relevant. And as I continued Mm -hmm. to hear her story, I thought, oh, my word, what you have to say is a treasure. And it needs to be unearthed, you know, and brought out into the Mm -hmm. light. And Mm -hmm. so I Mm -hmm. am in awe of women, you and then Rosie Williams, I had on here last podcast, who is in her 70s as well and speaking out about so many things. She has written a book she co-authored with her husband about his time in Vietnam and the miracles that were seen there. I am mm-hmm. so excited about the lineup of women that I am going to be able to tap into, like yourself, like oh, Rosie, for encouragement. <laughs> and as I shared with you earlier, it'll be all across the board because I have some young students, prior students of mine in their 20s that will lend a little wisdom mm-hmm. to this experience as well. But I, wow, I'm so encouraged. So would you tell me, was there ever a time where you felt like, you didn't really want to do this, but you felt like you had, or did you just have this sense with God by your side from the minute you retired that, by golly, this is where you were going and you were empowered to get the job done? Um, yeah, I mean, there certainly have been times, absolutely, when I when I felt, you know, I, I really didn't have anything to say or couldn't, I didn't have the courage 
to say it. That is absolutely true. And I still very much dislike public speaking. Mm. I still get very anxious. And, and I think that's rooted in my childhood when um, what other people thought of you it literally meant survival or not. And uh, so I was always very, very conscious from a young age of other people's opinion of me. Ah. And people-pleasing was very important because it, it literally meant survival, because I could be kicked out of a home at any time if someone didn't like me. And, and I think sometimes that kind of thing imprints indelibly on your brain. Yeah. So I have to fight against that, and I force myself to do these kinds of things, but it's not anything that I enjoy. I, um, I do not like speaking in the least. <laughs> well, you did a great job here. You wouldn't oh, know it. Thank you. You did. Thank you. Well, and I think, you know, it is it, it does speak to, well, to age, I think. I was having a conversation with my daughter on the way home from church today, the one that was with me, and she says, you need to put yourself out there more. You need to tell your stories more. You need to talk about yourself. And I said, that seems so narcissistic, like, and it's so uncomfortable. She mm-hmm. said, Mom, that's just the way it is. She said, the podcasters I listen to, the people I follow, I follow them because of their stories. And yeah. I thought, stories See, that's exactly powerful. Yes. So that's exactly what we're doing here. So wow, was that affirmation. But you know, it's hard because, you know, years ago, I was in radio. And I, to be honest, I did a lot of morning shows. And I really didn't care what people thought. I was in my 20s. I was living my life. I had a family to raise. I, I did my job. And that was it. And Mm -hmm. I didn't worry about what people thought. But Mm -hmm. now as a believer in Jesus, I don't want to ever be the obstacle. I don't want to ever be that thing that stands in the way of someone's relationship with him. So now it looks right. different. And now right. I am concerned, right? I don't want to yeah. be that person that is, you know, narcissistic or about self or annoying or whatever it is. And <laughs> I have to remember that those thoughts are from the enemy. If I am called by the Lord to do what we're doing here, if he has said, listen, I want you to go out and do this thing. And Mm -hmm. here's the way I want it to look. I want you to talk about me. I want you to talk about how invested I am and how much I love my creation and how I'm Mm -hmm. constantly ministering and showing and sending messages and pestering. Mm -hmm. Then Mm -hmm. that's what you need to do. And it it shouldn't matter what anybody thinks. And it shouldn't matter that when you turn the camera around, you're just cringing. Because (laughs) because you're thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, why couldn't I have done this? Why could seriously, why couldn't I have been called to this 20 years ago? It would have been a little more comfortable. But this is the way it is. And I love that about you. And I just want to affirm you now and tell you, you are a fine public speaker. And what you have to say matters. And you have so (laughs) much wisdom and so much experience and expertise to impart. I, I'm honored. I'm honored that you would come on and talk with me, even though you didn't really want to. And I bugged you about oh, it, right? Well, thank <laughs> but you. The Lord um, well, has... I believe in your podcast, and, and I believe in the message, and I think it's important. So I can swallow my anxiety to, to uh, <laughs> participate in that. 
and and I think it's I think it's wonderful. I appreciate that. Well, I I told you it, the truth is I've just uh, been letting God lead me. Okay, so who do you want me to talk with next? Kind of thing. And I knew your name kept coming up. So and I knew that you were a little reluctant, <laughs> but you pushed through. So I appreciate that. And what I'm excited about God doing is now I have people reaching out to me and asking me, "Hey, can I come on oh, and talk good. about my miracles?" So wow, is he just mm-hmm. awesome? He's mm-hmm. doing. He's doing a good thing. Yeah. 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 So in closing, I want you to tell us where we can learn more information or or get more information on what you're doing and how folks can get a hold of your book. Okay. My book is available wherever books are sold, Amazon or bookstores or Walmart or wherever you get books. I have a website which I really have not developed and have not done much with because I'm trying to have a balance right now between being retired and giving my husband more of my time and I'm not I'm not doing a lot of marketing at all. I've done practically none, which I in a way I feel guilty about that because the message isn't getting out there and I think it's a message that can help people but it's something I absolutely hate doing. And so I've not been doing it. And I don't want to, I'm not at a stage in my life where I want to build this big, I don't even know what to call it, you know, following. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or or a big business or, or anything like that. I don't want to be, um, you know, creating courses and workshops and, and all of that. I'm at a different stage in my life now. Um, but, but I do want to share the message and, and it just so happens, darn it. I hate it when he calls you to do stuff you hate doing, but he always (laughs) seems to. Um, (laughs) Oh yeah, that's absolutely true. Isn't Um, it? But you know, I, I, I really think the message is important and and I want to be part of that, but I but I have to have a balance there. So um, I'm still kind of feeling my way around about how much I want to do this sort of thing. But you know, if someone wanted to contact me, I don't have any problem giving my my email address if that's helpful, which is Sandra E Duclo at gmail dot com. Okay, Sandra E. Duclo at gmail.com. Duclo is D-U-C-L-O-S. I, I can relate to what you're saying because after I released my first book, I just felt like I didn't want to do any marketing at all. It just was not my thing. And I, I wanted to just find a little quiet place. And right away, I had so many other book ideas, got about 40,000 words into a novel, began my children's book, and really still feel very compelled that way. I love to write. There's nothing I enjoy mm-hmm. more. And yet God said, wait a minute, stop down to do the children's book. Okay, I'll do that. My husband's saying, when are you gonna write your next book? Hmm. God's told me to do a podcast. What? I don't know. I I can't help it. This is what he said. So I'm doing it. Um, in the meanwhile, I get it. I mean, I haven't worked on my website like I should either. And you know what? It it is it is what it is. I mean, it's priorities. And your husband is your priority. Our families are our priorities. And I just have to believe that God will move things along as He does when the timing is right. So, in the meanwhile. Your book is great. It's very helpful. I think it's very encouraging. I know that you have a whole section on the 
at the end of it that talks about the foster care system in this country right. and what we can do to help facilitate change. I think, you know, one mm-hmm. one step at a time, one book at a time, yours certainly created awareness for me. And mm-hmm. I am at the very least called to pray for the foster care system and foster children yeah. in this country. My husband yeah. and I talked long and hard about doing that here, but we had eight children of our own and we were homeschooling and you couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just a mess. We looked at it yeah. from so many yeah. different angles and it just wasn't going oh, to happen. Yeah. But I've known mm-hmm. friends who have done it and I am so thrilled for those people who are called mm-hmm. into that place. It is something we, we mm-hmm. need to work on even today. Yeah. Yeah. But but I think more than people being called into it, I, I think there is a shortage, so that's important. Mm. But I think more importantly is a change in the system, because the system is such that um, why would anyone want to do it? They make it so difficult, and, and I talk about that in my book somewhat, but we, my husband and I actually went to classes to become foster parents, and the system was so horrible that we pulled out of it. We said, we can't be part of this. Yeah. It was terrible. Um, and, and I think it's just gotten worse over the years. At least when I was a kid, you could be in, in a foster home for years and years and years, and now they actually prevent that from happening. They don't want you getting attached. They don't want you uh, having that sense of permanency, which is exactly what you need when you're a foster child, but they don't exactly. want that because their goal yeah. is reunification with the parent, whether the parent is fit or not. That's always the goal. Mm. And uh, so yeah. I call that into question in the book, but that's... <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, that's not giving a child the mm-hmm. hope that a child needs for permanency mm-hmm. and love and... Wow. Well, your book calls attention to so many things as part of that. And I appreciate your willingness to share. I appreciate your courage. I appreciate that you have stepped into the place that God has called you for this season. And you've done so unabashedly. And yeah, I know you may not like public speaking, but you do a fine (laughs) job. And you're you're making impact. So it's good. It's all good. And I did, you know, I really did mean what I said at the beginning. I you're all over social media. And I'm always literally chuckling to myself. I smile when I see what you've written, because you're always so uplifting and encouraging to others. And we're on a site where other publishers and authors live. And you are always so uh, such a beacon of shining light for those folks that need a little encouragement. Oh, thank you. Well, I I think that's what I'm called to do. Um, I think that's my thing. I'm an encourager. You are. Um, I think I think that's what God wants me to do. So that's what I try to do. And and it, and that it's my way of continuing to help. I think showing love wherever I can. Yeah. Well, there's your so. dynamic purpose for social influence and mm-hmm. your relevance restoration, as I call it. So, thank you so much for being mm-hmm. my guest today, my friend. And. If it, Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It is my pleasure. And, and I love what you're doing. Um, I think your podcast is wonderful. I think it's needed. I don't. I, I, I think it's a subject that's not talked about enough. Um, and and I, I, I just love that you're doing this. So thank you. Thank you, my friend. Sandra, okay. Dr. Sandra Duclos. 
Please continue to join us on Color Speak wherever you find your podcasts. This is J.M. Huxley for Truth Talk on Color Speak, celebrating relevance, restoration, social influence, and dynamic purpose in all places and all seasons. <laughs>